Hello, it is the UFC Vegas 39 wrap-up show. Not a lot of outside-the-cage stuff to go over on this one, thankfully. So, jump right in to uh, the fights. Steve Garcia, uh, he got back in the wing column with a pretty gutsy performance against Charlie Andaveras. Uh, got rocked early with a axe kick. Uh, recovered by shooting for the takedown and using his ground control and his wrestling. Um, and got rocked again in the second round. Again, regained the control with a takedown and his wrestling. Um, I think he pretty much broke Ontiveros in the uh, early going of the... I'm sorry, the late going of the first round with his wrestling skills and his heavy top game. Um, the elbows that cut Ontiveros up. He just seemed not too enthused after the start of the second round, after that takedown. Just did not seem like he was motivated in any way, shape, or form to to keep fighting um, against Garcia. So Garcia, good performance, gutsy performance, uh, showed good fight IQ. And like I said, I think he broke his opponent in this one. And I think he'll uh, be someone to keep an eye on. He might have reached his upside, uh, but he, he he will be a problem for, for some fighters, for sure. Ontiveros, I don't know. Uh, I did not like his reaction to the way he just could not recover from what Garcia showed him in the wrestling department. And I didn't like his reaction to getting taken down the second time. So I think he really struggled in this one. Maybe it was just this fight. But overall, uh, Garcia looked good. Ontiveros looks like he needs some work. Peter Gunez showed good wrestling and uh, controlled the octagon well. Uh, the takedowns were what really got her this fight. The takedowns and using her octagon control in the striking department to set up those takedowns, keeping her fight her opponent up against the fence. That was impressive. And then just getting the takedowns and working for the armbar submission. Um, so if she can continue to use that wrestling to set up her submissions, then she's going to be someone to watch. She's 28 years old and, again, looked very good in this one. Damon Jackson. Um, Damon Jackson, I was more impressed with how he reacted to that cut than really his fighting skills. Good top game, but his calmness and composure in a cut that might have been a, might have been a little worrisome to him in his back of his mind, at least, that, hey, if I don't get the finish, the doctor could stop this. I don't think that really entered his mind. I think he just stayed focused. He figured, you know, just push forward. Don't panic. Work, work, work. And that worked out for him, and he got the win. The cut was bad, but it was not, maybe Jackson knew this, but it, or his corner told him this, but it was not in a spot that was going to stop the fight. At least in a place like Nevada where the commission and the cage side doctors know what they're really looking at to stop a fight. A less skilled doctor or commission might have stopped this one just because of how bad the cut was, and it was bad. But props to the Nevada State Athletic Commission cage side doctor on this. The cut was not in a spot where the blood was going to get in Jackson's eye. It was not in a spot, at least to me, where it looked like it was going to cause long-term nerve damage. 
was not in a spot that was going to affect his sight or anything around his eye really at that point. Um, if it would have torn a little more, maybe. But it was in a spot where the fight should have and could have and did continue. So very good uh, call here by the Nevada State Athletic Commission cage side doctor on letting this one go. Uh, Chris Gutierrez and Philippe Calaris. Sorry if I butchered that one. I didn't like this fight. I didn't like how Gutierrez um, took so long to see what his opponent was giving him and react to it. Gutierrez was the better fighter, and he showed that in the second and especially in the third rounds, but Polaris was showing him wide striking and leaving a lot of openings, and Gutierrez just did not capitalize them on his, on them as soon as he could have. That was a little alarming. I mean, he eventually got there, but with the power that his opponent was throwing, Gutierrez could have got caught. I wish he would have been a little faster with his adjustments, but overall he looked good, um, and I think the fight should be an eye-opener for him in that he needs to adjust better to his opponents, especially if he's going to fight off his back foot and counter. He needs to be quicker with his adjustments because if he is not, he could end up being on the wrong side of some split decisions or some unanimous decisions just because of how his style looks to the judges. He's a counterfighter, and he's not an especially aggressive counterfighter, so he's going to have to score big points with his counters in the, in the eyes of some judges. He did not do that here. And if a judge is looking for output and the connections are, are happening from the opponent, Gutierrez might be on the wrong side of some decisions. So I would encourage Gutierrez and his camp to you know, be aware of what their opponent's giving them, react quicker, make adjustments quicker, and maybe not fight as much off the back foot, if, if at all possible. And if they're going to do that, well, make sure they're reacting quicker to what is, what is being offered from the other uh, fighter's offense. Tyus Nikolai, he had a rough go in the first round with Tim Elliott. Um, he looked like he was struggling a little bit to gauge Elliott's awkward approach, try and find his timing. He did a good job of uh, adjusting between the second and the first and the second round. He was able to time Elliott's approaches a little better. And what really, I think, made a difference here with um, Nikolai was the power he was throwing at Elliott much more powerful uh, than than what Elliot was throwing him. And the, the power was what I think, and the speed was what gave Nikolai the fight here. Going into the third round, it was probably 1-1. Elliot and uh, James Krause made a bad decision here to more or less stall when the fight got to the ground in the third round. Elliot needed to be a little more aggressive. Uh, Krause acknowledged this on Sunday after the fight that he messed up in the coaching. That is what it is, but it probably cost Elliot half of his pay in that mistake in the coaching. Uh, so stalling, not always the best idea. Maybe the safe idea, but if the fight is close, and this one was close, it could backfire on you and it could cost you. And Elliot, I don't think, is someone who makes an insignificant amount in his show fight. So I think he cost himself, and Kraus cost him, a lot of money in this fight. Uh, he should have been a more aggressive. He should have been more aware of what the where he was, and I just think that the uh, 
Elliot, knowing Kim Elliot, I think this was a bad decision all in all because he is not a layback and stall kind of fighter. So I think he was fighting against his own instincts here in doing that. And, well, we see what happened. He he lost the fight. So unfortunate move from Elliot. Good fight from Nikolai. Randy Brown. Randy Brown is really coming into his own here, I think, in the UFC. Um, he was a 500 fighter through his first six fights, and he's now on a 4-1 run. His win over Jared Gordon, while not the best fight of his career, I don't think, showed uh, some maturation and showed he's feeling himself a little more than he has in the past. I don't think he's cocky, but his confidence level is soaring. And good for him. Uh, messed up his toe in this one, so, and it was obvious that he messed up his toe in this one. Gordon probably could have maybe capitalized on that a little bit because it was obviously bothering him. Uh, it was messing with his stance, messing with his footwork. Had Gordon been a little more experienced, he might have been able to catch Brown when he was you know, messing with his foot and when he was off balance and, and score a knockdown, or at least what would be perceived as a knockdown. But that didn't happen. Um, Brown gutted it out, was landed. Uh, the injury happened on the first kick of the fight. Uh, a nice kick to the face to open the fight for, for Brown. So Randy Brown um, could be knocking on the door of the top 15 after this one. And he's, he's, he's developed into a pretty decent fighter and a confident fighter. So when you combine those things, that equals a fighter to watch. Marina Rodriguez um, fought through some very tough spots against Mackenzie Dern, but the key is that she fought through them. She was in some bad positions on the ground, as was expected. Did not end up having to tap, but was in some rough spots. But what stood out here was that when the third, fourth, and fifth rounds came and Dern's um, gas tank kind of faded a little bit, that's when Rodriguez used her striking, used her length, using ability to keep the fight at distance to really pull ahead and cement that she was the better fighter in this in this contest. So Rodriguez is now 3-0 in 2021. Might be a low-key fighter of the year candidate. I don't know if she'll win that. I don't think she will, but uh, she's really elevated her profile in those three fights and we're going to probably be talking about her as a title contender in 2022 if she gets another win. And even if she doesn't get another win, if the UFC somehow overlooks Carla Esparza, well, Mar Marina Rodriguez could be the next one in line uh, to face the winner of Rose Namajunas and Wiley Zhang. Should she be? No, because she lost the split the set into Esparza, and Esparza is also on a five-fight winning streak. So I do believe Carla Esparza, even though the UFC doesn't seem to be too jazzed about it, should get the next title fight. Will she? I don't know. But Marina Rodriguez really, really coming into her own and showing us that she is a legit threat to the strawweight title. Um, Mackenzie Dern, I think we overlooked a little bit here. The fact that Mackenzie Dern's takedowns are not good. She had a 10% takedown success rate coming into this fight. And I think we overlooked it because she didn't really need her takedowns. If the fight went to the ground for whatever reason in the past, Dern was pretty much assured to lock up a submission. Now that she's in the fighting in the top five of the division, that assurance has, has gone away. And now we see that Dern needs to work on her wrestling, especially her takedowns. 
And I think she acknowledged that after the fight, called this one a big learning experience. And I expect that she will work exclusively beyond takedowns for a while and that we should really pay attention to our next outing to see how that development goes. I'm really hopeful with Dern's development, though, because of how she's developed her striking. If you recall, when she came to the UFC, her striking was abysmal. It's not top-notch now, but it is serviceable, and it's, you know, it's not a worry as much as it was sure. She kind of rushed in against Rodriguez with her hands down and chin out a couple times in this fight, but her chin is still pretty good, and so she can overcome that kind of mistake. She should still you know, work a little bit on her striking defense and her approaches, but I think that if she is more confident in her in her wrestling, that she will be less reliant on bum rushing her opponents to get the to get in close. If she can work on her approach to wrestling, then hands down rushing in for the striking to get to the clinch goes away. She becomes a more complete fighter and a bigger threat. Mackenzie Dern is only twenty eight years old. She showed a she's very coachable, which we saw because of how her striking has developed. Now, if she can do the same with her wrestling takedowns, I I still believe Mackenzie Dern could be a threat to be a champion in the UFC. And I think that we're really, really, really going to have to watch her next fight to see where she goes and how that, how that wrestling develops. One thing I will say about outside, not really outside, but kind of inside, outside the, the cage was Jason Perlow. I was really impressed with how Jason Perlo spoke to Mackenzie Dern and coached her. His his coaching was simple. He didn't get excited. He didn't get overexcited. There was no screaming. He gave understandable instructions. He gave simple instructions. And he gave Dern everything she needed to win the fight, except, well, she he couldn't give her the skill set uh, uh, that she needed in the wrestling takedown department. But I expect that will change when the two head back to the gym after this loss. Uh, what I liked was that when Dern was gassing out, she said she was tired. Perla kind of took that and made it a positive, which was a surprise to me, but very well played from Jason Perla. Uh, Dern said she was, I kind of got the feeling Dern said she was gassing out, that she was tired. Perla said, good, you needed to take that round off to be ready for this next round. That's how you coach. That's how you take something that's a potential negative and move it out of that fighter's head. Turn it into a positive. You took that fight round off because you needed to. That was a very good thing. And I, I, I was really impressed with that from Perillo. And his demeanor, everything about him was uh, just a positive in the corner of Mackenzie Dern. And I think that he is a very good coach. And he is a very good coach for fighters who are maybe not of the top level talent, but who have above average talent and just need an extra little thing to push them over the top. An example of this would be Perlo and Michael Bisping. That seems to me, uh, watching Perlo in the corner of Dern reminded me of how much Perlo probably helped Bisping to the middleweight title. So I can't say enough about what I saw from Jason Perlo at UFC Vegas 39. So some questions that remain unanswered about USC Vegas 39. First one is, is Carla Esparza next? She was disappointed that she did not get to face Rose Namajunas, and rightfully so. I think she deserved the title fight over Wiley Zhang. 
Um, Nama Yunus knocked Zhang out in uh, 78, uh, 79 seconds in the last outing, and that did not scream to me, we need a rematch. Carlos Barza, I know, is not the UFC's favorite, maybe just because of her style, but she was on a five-fight winning streak and deserved a shot at the title. After the fight, she got a vote of confidence from Marina Rodriguez, who said that Esparza deserves that, but she also said if the UFC is going to offer her the title fight over Esparza, she's not going to turn it down. I can't blame her for that. That's not her That's not her problem. If the fight gets offered, much like Aspen Ladd getting rewarded for missing weight, I don't blame Ladd for taking that fight, and I wouldn't blame Rodriguez for taking the fight if it was offered. I would blame the UFC for overlooking Carla Esparza. She's on a five-fight winning streak. She deserves a UFC title shot. A Dern. Dern's wrestling, as I said before, is, is the big concern here. And I really think she knows that. I really think she learned that. 10% takedown success rate is not something that's going to get you to the top of the UFC, especially if you're a submission artist. Uh, so I cannot stress enough how much Dern needs to improve. I can't stress enough how much I think she will be able to improve. And I can't stress enough how much we need to watch her next fight to see how much she has improved. Again, she's 28. She's teachable. She's coachable. She seems to want to win and get to the top of the UFC. So everything about this says keep an eye on Mackenzie Dern. Um, is Marina Rodriguez a candidate for fighter of the year? I don't know. If she is, I think she might be. Um, remember, she's 3-0 here in 2021. She came into that Amanda Hebos fight as a underdog, knocked her out, then beat Michelle Waterson in a five-round main event, and now she's beaten uh, Mackenzie Dern in a five-round main event. So, I mean, she hasn't been knocking fools out, but she's been good, she's been impressive, and she's done everything that she can to shine a spotlight on herself. So, maybe not a you know top of the top of the pack contender for fighter of the year in 2021 but definitely a candidate for fighter of the year in 2021 so james kraus james kraus volunteered to fight chris curtis at the weigh-ins and here's how this kind of played out uh darren Wynn pulled out of his fight against phil hawes phil hawes made weight the ufc wanted to keep the fight on the card obviously so that they said hey chris curtis made weight he can fight hawes which he is allowed to do said i'm not interested in fighting a guy that I didn't train for, so thanks, but no thanks. So then Curtis was, uh, had been made weight. Krause said, yeah, I'll take it. And the NSAC said, mm, no, that's not going to happen. So my problem with this is I think the NSAC was right in turning this fight down. The reason was because I don't know if Krause is licensed in Nevada. He last fought in the state in 2017, so if he's not licensed, that means, one, he's not licensed, and two, Nevada doesn't have up-to-date medical records on him and so to turn on a fight on less than 24 hours notice is the right thing to do because the state doesn't have the time to get the medical records to get the proper testing done for James Krause now if he kept his licensing up that's a different story but we don't really know I asked the NSAC if they had a statement on this they haven't gotten back to me yet but I think if Krause was not licensed and did not have up-to-date medical records in the state of Nevada 100% the right call to refuse to sanction this fight. What bothers me about this fight, and I asked the UFC if they had 
thrown this out there and asked the NSAC to consider it, um, that if the UFC did do that, this runs counter to Dana White's uh, saying that the UFC does so much with health and safety. He bragged about this earlier in the week. And if you're going to offer a guy a fight on 24 hours notice, knowing he doesn't have the correct medical test or isn't even licensed in that state, well, that shows me that you're your brag bragging about your health and safety programs is a falsehood. If the UFC cared about health and safety, it would not try and put a fight together in less than 24 in 24 hours time where one of the fighters is not licensed or medically cleared to fight in that state. That's not health and safety. That's just trying to keep the fight going. Now, I will I will apologize if Kraus was licensed and had all the medical clearance. And like I said, I reached out to the UFC so they can answer that question if they would like to. Will they? I don't know. But I. But if the UFC willingly and knowingly put a fight in front of the NSAC where one of the fighters was not licensed and not medically cleared to fight in the state of Nevada, that shows me the UFC is not focused on health and safety and shows me the UFC is instead focused on keeping fights on the card and satisfying ESPN's content demands. And finally, what's up with John Anik? That Damon Jackson fight was bloody. And during it, Paul Felder noted that you could smell the blood from where they were sitting. And then John Anik just said that he loved it. Loved it. Which was kind of weird, but kind of appreciated as well. But anyway, John Anik, maybe a little weird. Want to know what's going on inside John Anik's head that he loves the smell of blood right in front of him. Good for him, I guess. And on that note, I'm going to close things out until probably much later this week. I have some things going on that will prevent me from recording. Nothing major. Uh, I will be back. Until then, stay safe.